Okay, it's called He Wants Godly Offspring. It seemed like a good message to have during a baby dedication because, you know, there are times when you're up here dedicating or just in your life where the pressure and the fear of things going wrong in parenting can make you forget that it is God's desire for things to go well for your children in the faith. Like God wants that first. But we live in a very broken world and there's lots of mess in between. And it's not, not going to be easy and sometimes it's going to be a catastrophe. And I just want to look at a passage from the book of Malachi where we at least hear the voice of God calling his people and especially the dads to pursue living, active, on-fire faith as a way of fulfilling God's desire to bless children. Okay, and I'm a touch on fire this morning about this today. Um, can I just talk about the real world for a second? Um, anybody on Twitter here? Nobody? Come on. Who's, who's all the Twitter people? Twitter is the most interesting place outside of church in the world right now. And uh, I really like it. But something happened in the last couple of weeks because, you know, Elon Musk took it over and, and everyone was offended at that. And then he fired three quarters of the employees and everyone thought it should fail. But now it's doing better than it was when we, they were there, which makes you really wonder um, about woke technology people. If you can get rid of three quarters of them and the business does better like that's. That makes you wonder. But the thing that really made me wonder is that after about three or four weeks of him running the business with way less people there, journalists who track the usage of Twitter for child exploitation started to say all of a sudden the tools that child explorers use on Twitter to traffic children and child technology uh, that abuses children, it's starting to disappear. Okay? So not politicians saying this and not the company saying this, journalists who are survivors of childhood exploitation, who have dedicated their lives to trying to rescue other children, are saying all of a sudden things are radically changing. And you sit there and you go, how come Elon had to fire the entire human rights team before something changed? It is not a safe world for children. Apparently, right now, Twitter is the only social media platform that cares about the safety of kids online. Because all the other businesses have these human rights teams that aren't protecting children. And repeatedly, uh, politicians who I hope care keep saying TikTok is the worst place in the universe for the mental health and physical safety of children. And it's just spyware for foreign countries. It's not safe. And there was a time in the history of the church where God was getting down and dirty with the priests because he was really upset that his family was not a safe place for children. And so he said this. This is God. He's addressing through the prophet Malachi the priests of Israel at a certain time of history. And I'll get into the background a bit more, but I want you to hear this first. And it says, And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altars with tears 
weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to your wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So this morning I intend to say things about sensitive topics and my assumption is that everybody here has experienced in your life or in your family the carnage of contemporary sexual mayhem. I am not here to sit in judgment on anybody. And I have done enough sinning in this area to never be able to look down on anyone. However, God is here. And he's the one that we need to reckon with. And my assumption is that you're, if you're here and you put your trust in Jesus, he says, whatever has passed today, what does faithfulness look like to Jesus? Whatever's gone before, that's what forgiveness is for. And God can help you if there's stuff from the past that you need more freedom from. But today... What does you believing in Jesus look like? That's the most important question. So don't get sucked into worrying about a guilt trip. Don't get sucked into being defensive about a guilt trip. Don't be a blame shifter. Don't be an accuser. Save yourself here today what God is saying to the church for your good. And because Jesus died for sin and rose from the grave, anybody can come to God and say, forgive me and start a new thing in my life, and he'll do it, if you mean it. So what was going on at this time? So he's addressing the priests, and the priests were special people in Israel. Israel was all these descendants of uh, Abraham, and there was multiple tribes, and he had picked one tribe called Levi, and he had said, you guys are particularly called to not be farmers and shepherds, but set apart to my worship. You're going to work in the temple for me. You're going to take care of the tabernacle as we're moving around. You're going to be Bible people who learn God's word so you can help everybody else know my will better by helping them understand the Bible. And from the Levites was a specific group of people called the priests who you could only be by birth. And their job was to minister worship to the Lord in the tabernacle and in the temple. And a tabernacle is just like a super long, weird, unused, awkward word for a, like a, a king tent. Like one of the, not like one of those two-person ones you throw up on the weekend. I mean, you put up on the weekend when you're out camping. But like a permanent tent structure. A king tent. So out of God's chosen people, there was the Levites who were a bit more of a chosen people, which were the priests, and out of them were the priests, which were an uber, uber, uber chosen people, and they were meant to be close to God, to know God, and to help everybody else know God by their lives and their teaching. 
Well, at this point in the history of Israel, you might remember if you've read the book, Israel only had like maybe 50 years in its entire multi-century life when they were doing good. Most of the time, they, they were doing bad, and they were getting trouble for doing bad. And the entire definition of doing bad was they stopped being faithful to God and thus suffered the consequences. That was the whole definition. If the people were all believing in God and being faithful to him, they were doing good, and there was blessings more than they could handle. And the opposite was also true. Anyhow, God had promised in his word that if you guys are unfaithful to me for long enough, I'm going to exile you. I'm going to give you a timeout. But then at a certain time, I'm going to bring you back once you've humbled yourself and repented. And that happened. And so God has brought back his people and he's brought back some priests who are working in this for the Lord in this time of brokenness. And you would think that after seeing the exile and and the whole nation got this uber spanking, this ultra, ultra uber spanking and being sent off to think about what they've done for 70 years and finally brought back that the priests of all people would be wholeheartedly serving God. You'd think that, but it wasn't the case. And so the whole book of Malachi is God drawing near to the priests to tell them Unfortunately, you have a shallow legalistic religion where you're going through the motions, but your heart is not close to me and your whole family knows it. And he starts taking them to task. The priests are doing their job. They're offering the sacrifice. They're trimming the wick. They're dressing up in their fancy clothes. They're saying the prayers they're supposed to be saying. They're doing the work, but God confronts them and says, in your heart, you're saying, I don't love you. Because of all the trouble you went through. In your heart, you don't bring true worship. You bring these like garbled up one-legged lambs. And you think this is good enough for me. Because you're so self-centered. You want to keep the best for yourself. You're not doing true worship. In your hearts, you're not treating me as a father or as a God. In your hearts, you, you aren't bringing the word to people for real. Because you don't believe that it's true. You're going through all the outward motions. You're setting up church. You're meeting at 10. You're singing the songs. You're kind of giving sometimes. And you're going through all the outward motions so that you can have a pretty nice live feed on the internet. But your hearts are a million miles away from me. And I know it. And your wife knows it. And your kids know it. That's what's going on here. And because God is the first and greatest protector of children, he confronts them. He really cares. And we know that Jesus cares. When he walked on the earth and the disciples were like, get these kids out of here, we're trying to have a church service. He says, no, bring the kids to me. Suffer the kids to me. I came for these little guys. In fact, if you don't become more like little kids, won't see you in heaven. Jesus is so loving and he says things that make you, you know, that's pretty harsh. He says if somebody causes one of these little ones to stumble, to lose their faith, it would be better for them to have a stone tied around their neck and for them to go swimming. It's better to die than to ruin the faith of a child, says Jesus. Better to go to the judgment having not corrupted the faith of children than to do it and then come and meet me later. 
because I'm going to be ticked, says the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm not here to speak harsh, but you know, ah, I'm not from Steinbeck. Maybe that explains everything. I'm a foreigner. Your ways confuse me sometimes. I'm not familiar. How come your sausages are a thousand times larger than they should be? You know what I mean? It's like, you're supposed to be able to fit a hundred of things on a plate, not half of one. It's so strange, your foreign ways. That's one of those jokes that you can decide if it was worth your time coming to church this morning. But one of the things I'm encountering more and more after 11 years of serving here is that many people's lives have been damaged and are still controlled by growing up in churches where the outward form of religion was there, but the heart of true Fiery worship was missing, and it's harmed you. Even though God's word said, you deserve better than that. But, as the adults now, there's no room for blaming, and there's no room for excusing. As the adults, it's now our job to make sure that kind of stuff ends with us. For the next generation's sake. Amen? Amen? See, one of the things that was really stopping these priests from being able to be the men that they were supposed to be was that they were terrible blame shifters. Everything they saw going wrong in their lives, they found a way to blame God for. You haven't blessed us enough. You've let bad things happen to us. You let me marry someone like this. Blah, 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 blah. And every time he comes back and says, the problem is you. This was a huge problem. If you've read the book of Ezekiel lately, there's this huge sour grapes fight in the book of Ezekiel. I don't remember the chapter. Have you ever heard the term sour grapes before? So in their time, there were these, all these people. They were hauled out of Israel. They saw family members slaughtered. Some of them have the scars of the beatings of the soldiers, all of them. They're hauled out of Israel. They're taken to Babylon. They're the foreigners. They're treated like uh, aliens. They're probably mistreated and, and messed up, and nobody does good business with them. It's so bad. And the kids there are saying to themselves, uh, the parents ate sour grapes, and now the children's teeth are set on edge. Which is a great saying, which we totally understand. It could be in a rap song, and we totally get it, right? <laughs> and you got to read it, and you'll be like, what in the world does this mean? And essentially, what he, they were saying was, how can we do good when our parents messed us up so much? And they had a reason to complain. They're literally in the wrong country as punishment for the previous generation's sin. But because they were using that as an excuse, God comes to them through the prophet Ezekiel and says, I'm going to give you a new saying. The new saying is this, the soul that sins shall die. And if you sin, you die. And if you're righteous, you'll live. And if you're righteous and you start sinning, you die. But if you're sinning and you turn to me and start doing righteous, you'll live. How do you like them apples? This is God. 
when he's in the room, there are no excuses valid anymore. He raises the dead. When you tell Jesus things were too bad and things were too tough, you're complaining to someone who was dead for 48 hours that something's impossible. Does this make sense? Should we tell someone who has been physically dead for 48 hours and now has been alive for 2,000 years and is sitting on the throne of heaven with the scepter of righteousness in one hand to crush the nations and the shepherding rod of faithfulness to care for his church in the other hand, shall we tell him that something that happened to us can stop him from doing what he wants to do in our lives? No blame shifting. He can raise the dead. And what he wants is hearts that love him. And don't try to commit religious fraud and fool him with outward actions that don't have the faithful heart. Thus damaging wives and sons because they know exactly how we're doing. And ultimately it will catch up with them. And then us. God says the kids deserve better. The plan is that through their experience of the faith and love of parents, they are set up to believe that I am a good and holy God. That's the plan. And there are so many things we can't control. And I get it. And it's a mess. But the plan... is that through our humility and our turning away from sin and our seeking Jesus and our being overflowing rivers of love, the kids would grow up from having a relationship with parent to a relationship with Jesus, and a lot of the time they would just say, same, same, same. Does anybody feel like a failure yet, like me? (laughs) Totally. Can I tell you a little story? I'm sure I've told this before. It was one of the pivotal moments in my life. I used to wake up in the middle of the night terrified for how my kids would turn out. Only one? Wait, like have to get out of bed and walk around to calm myself down. I'd wake up and I'd be like, one of the kids chews with his mouth open. Yeah, now they're going to talk about who it was. (laughs) Or I'm just messing with you, and I made that up. Mm. So much stress, so much anxiety, but also learning that you cannot lead a child out of your fear for how they'll turn out. That is turning the child into the parent, and they need to change in order to make you feel okay. Only faith and love. Those are the only motivations that are valid parenting motivations in the church. Fear will breed fear. Resentment will breed resentment. Anger will breed anger. This is how it works. Anyhow, to amplify this thing, um, we decided to adopt a child with Down syndrome. Named Timmy, who's wonderful. He's the best Christmas present we ever gave the kids. And... uh, I, I looked at him, 
And he has the eyes of Down syndrome, and he has the mouth of Down syndrome, and he has the hands, the like unique crease marks and the thumb shapes and the fingers of Down syndrome and all of the telltale signs that he has an extra chromosome in every single line of DNA in his body and he will never be able to compete with the other kids. And I realized that and I was free. Because it's not our job to be afraid of how the kids do in competing with some standard or idol or whatever. It is just our job to take the child that God has given us, whether by blood or adoption or fostering or whatever, and think, I am meant to be a blessing to them in God's calling on their life. And we figure out together who they are and what God's calling is. But you don't need to be afraid. Because we know that if God gave them to you, he's already invested in them. Ah. Just, just doing a little stress relief here. Come on, let's get it on reaffirming thing. I am not here to attack anybody. I am not here to guilt trip anybody. I do not believe in guilt trips. Guilt trips produce people turning away from the forgiving God to turn to Satan's counterfeits. However, I do know that we live in one of the most deceived generations ever where we think we can do things that are destroying us and it will be okay. And this is what God was doing with these priests. They absolutely thought that they could get rid of these women and their own children. And God wouldn't notice that he is hurting them and exposing them to vulnerability, to being abused by other people because he's not there to care for them and protect them. And because they weren't willing to believe that God's way is the best way, people were getting harmed by their unbelief and self-deception. And I can tell you the process of working through realizing yourself deceived uh, can be very painful. In our culture, we tell each other that the reason you're not doing well is because you don't understand your identity correctly and are having a lack of opportunities to act out your sexual desires. And if you feel uncomfortable, it's just because there's so many people around you not affirming you. And without any judgment, I would just like to tell you, in this world... There is no amount of sexual activity that can fill your soul. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can satisfy your soul. You need a love that is infinite and eternal. You need a love that loves you on your best day and your worst day. You need a love that could love you more than any woman or man ever could. You are desperate for a love that totally knows you and still wants you. There are times in my best marriage, which is one I've got, 
where both Jackie and I are rather unimpressed with each other. It lasts about 10 seconds, and then we start working on it. But the reality is this world is full of sinners, and eventually everyone will either let you down or seriously harm you. And you need a love from somebody who has already proven that they won't quit on you because he went through torture and hell to die for you and then came back from the grave to have you. And that is the only love that will ever satisfy you. And the waste and the human loss of people going online and trying to download things, click on things, hook up things, arrange things with the expectation that maybe this time the satisfaction will last more than five minutes is the tragedy of the age. And the people promoting this aren't happy. And the people believing this are even less happy. Which is why they're so angry. Because it's not working. And if you try to tell them there's something different, they're so bought in, they're so invested, they put all their money in FTX and it just went bankrupt. But you don't want to tell them that because they don't want to hear it. And next time they'll try again and maybe that time it will work. There is another way. You know, all I, if you're going to be a part of Calvary Chapel, all I really want from you is to keep pressing into the love of Christ. You don't need to serve and you don't need to lead, but Jesus will probably ask you to. I want you to not be fake. Don't lie and don't hide and don't deceive. You don't have to tell everybody you're junk, but you need to be real. Real with Jesus, real with somebody. What a poison these priests were doing. And the reality is when you end up in a legalistic church or a formal church, your heart still longs for true connection and you just end up with a church full of people doing all kinds of weird sexual things as they try to fill in the gap of true love that is meant to be there with real leaders in a real relationship with Jesus and real husbands and wives having real loving relationship in their home. That's God's plan. And when it doesn't happen, the emptiness creeps in and then we start just trying to stuff it full of anything and everything and it doesn't work. So I got good news because everything can start changing today. Jesus is the best forgiver. Jesus is the best forgiver. There was a story one time Jesus told. There were two guys at church. There was like the preacher guy who thinks he's really hot and is up on the stage kind of dancing like he's something special. And he's just like, God, I thank you so much that I can dance in front of people. God, I thank you I can tell some sweet jokes and people will laugh. God, I thank you I got a handle on my pornography problems. God, I thank you that my money's doing okay and I'm not in bad debt. Thank you that all this good stuff is happening in my life. And there was another guy right in the back feeling like garbage doesn't want to be here. Don't look at me. God, don't look at me. People don't look at me. I am just a waste. And Jesus said, you know, those guys both went home and one of them was right with God. And it wasn't the dancing guy. 
Think about Jesus. You come to church and you're like, I am terrible. Jesus is like, I'm going home with you. Jesus is the best forgiver. You just got to not lie to him. Don't be fake. You get eternal life. Do this where you're like, I'm impressive. I, they're going to turn this into a meme. Ah! It's part of why I act so goofy up here. I don't want anyone to think I'm that great. I, I go to Superstore and I realize I haven't done my hair and I'm like, it's probably going to be helpful in the long run. Because <laughs> we've done it before. You've all had wonderful, great pastors that you felt a million miles away from being like. It did not help you become an on-fire follower of Jesus. I want all of you to be doing better than me in the faith. I was telling Taylor earlier today, I think pastors nowadays are barely where the average Christian should be. And what should be happening is that every one of you should be as awesome as the best pastor, and then we should be doing better too. But in Canada, pastors are just barely saved. We're just barely living the life of Christ. Us leaders. (laughs) Well, (laughs) whatever. We all got to move up. And whatever's keeping us from moving up, it's probably not the Holy Spirit. Amen? I want you to know you can be amazing in the Lord. You got to stay humble. Don't think highly of yourself. That's like swallowing a cherry bomb. Not going to help you. But you can humbly believe in Jesus and you can be amazing. You forgive, no excuses, you humble yourself, you stop judging, you ask God to use us each day. Revival. Revival. I know right now Some of you have excuses in your minds. And I know from scripture, God says, I'm bigger than your excuses. And I love you more than your explanations. And I want to do more than agree with your deflections. Because I love you. Because I love you. Because he loves you. It's probably time to worship. Guys, let's do it for the kids. Let's live lives that make our kids think God is real. Don't think it needs to be easy. We prove God is real in the middle of the hardships. We prove God is real by how we respond to the terrible things. Let's do it. Let's make them think, my, my church never gave me a reason to doubt Jesus is real. And that is possible. Amen? Amen?